You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. What's well, some of the things you feel like come out of this chapter in regards to what Paul's trying to communicate and inform about spiritual gifts? What are some bullet points we could maybe throw out there? What's Paul's purpose in 1 Corinthians 13? Yep. Okay, if the using of my gifts isn't motivated out of love, it's pointless. Which really Paul's saying then that um, the attitude behind the gifting is far more important than what actual gifts we even have. And he's saying even if you knew your gift and you had some of the, the bigger, what we would call more important gifts, if there's not love behind it, then it, it's completely fruitless. And, and, and the things that he describes here is kind of the extreme of extremes in the areas of these giftedness. I don't know that he's even suggesting that this is possible, per se. Like, I think he's kind of using the fact that even if you were so gifted that you had the fullest gifting of some of these things and you still lacked love, there wouldn't be fruit coming from it. So he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong, clinging symbol. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, if I'm one of these prophets that, I mean, I just understand all of it, not just some of it, but all of it, but I don't have love. If I have faith that I can move mountains, so if I have a gifting of faith that empowers me to move mountains just by praying and speaking, but not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I'm one of these individuals that goes from rich to street poor, but there's not love there, then I'm nothing. If I give my body up to be burned, if I become a martyr for my faith, but it's not generated by love, then I'm nothing. Now we'd say, well, is it even possible to do those things without having love? Maybe, maybe not, but I think he's presenting the fact if it were possible to do these things and not have love, you wouldn't have the fruit that you would think that you, you would. That love, the attitude behind the service, the attitude behind the giftings, is what's really 
the crucial point and probably what was resulting in the abuse that was happening in this church. There were giftings that were being used, being used not out of love or he else he wouldn't bring up this whole discussion, this discourse on love. If this wasn't a problem. So we can we can see that some of the issue here is based on the fact that they're not there's not love in action going on in this church. He's having to draw them back to what's important, the attitude behind the service. So this is obviously an issue in, in uh, Corinth, and so we're going to see that that's an issue when we look more in detail next week in 1 Corinthians 14, some of the issues that were going on with the tongues. There was a lack of love. There was a lack of love, and so he kind of goes back and explains, this is what love looks like. What else do we see from this chapter? Anything else we wrote down on this chapter? Okay, so there's a a passing away of the gifts. Love doesn't go away. And he is drawing their focus and intention and wants importance placed on things that are permanent rather than temporary. I mean... Again, the abuse was they were valuing gifts, and in valuing the gifts, they were, they were putting greater value on the gifts that shouldn't have that value. Paul's expressing to them, look, this stuff's passing away. If you want to put value on something, put it on the attitude behind these giftings. Because these things, there's going to come a point where they're of no use. They're of no purpose any longer. But love is something that will endure through all the ages. He says, so importance and priority needs to be placed on love because it's the permanent thing. These things are going to go away. They're not going to be important for, for, forever. There's coming a point where they won't be important anymore, but love will always be important. Anything else you see, big picture stuff that comes out of this chapter? Yeah, so, you know, it kind of downplays again these gifts. There was way too much importance being placed on these gifts, and he he draws out the fact by comparing it to a child and a grown man. He says the things that we're, we're, we're dabbling in right now, the things that we are doing, it's childish in comparison to what we will be one day. When When full maturity comes, this stuff goes away. But love endures. Love, love will last. But there there's some... Underlying criticism towards the gifts, not that the gifts are, are wrong or bad, but just he's wanting to give us proper value to them. He says they don't accomplish what they, what they need to accomplish as far as full knowledge. There's, there's, some, um, there's some lack of ability to the giftings that will only come in the future when, when the fullness of what these gifts are trying to point us towards comes. And we, and we have full knowledge we're not looking in a mirror anymore. We're looking face to face. Okay, so the things that I had jotted down, Paul states that even if one had the extreme of extremes in regards to these gifts and lacked love, it would be all for naught. Paul is placing higher emphasis on attitude rather than on action. The defining characteristic of love 
is opposite of the abuses that can spring up from using gifts improperly. So if we use the gifts improperly, there's other attitudes that will spring up that's not love. I think that's why he even describes love the way that he says love is patient and kind. So there was some impatience and some unkindness that was most likely coming out in this church. Love does not envy or boast. We know there's some envying and boasting going on because there's people that want gifts they don't have, and there's others that seem to be boasting about the gifts that they do have. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Maybe there was some insisting on, we're going to do it my way because the Holy Spirit's telling me this. Somebody else saying the opposite. Paul says in 12, they're unified. Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit, the message, the intent should be unified. Does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believe all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Okay, so um, I think what we see there is some of the things that we've already discussed this morning. These are the big picture ideas coming out of this passage, and it was in addressing the issues, the questions that were coming out of Corinth. Now, we're going to spend the bulk of our time moving forward in verses 8 through 13. Not that the passage on love is not important, but we want to we want to understand the 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 aspect of these miraculous gifts a little bit better. So we're going to focus particularly on 8 through 13 now. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. All right, this picture on this board is, is, a, is a picture of the season of autumn. Okay, so we've got a tree with leaves, a tree with no leaves. If we were describing what had happened in this passage, somebody asked the question, what happened to the leaves? What are some of the words or phrases that we might would use to inform somebody of what happened to the leaves? Okay, they fell off. What else could we say about this? They died. What else? Think in terms of really trying to communicate to somebody what happened so that there's no misconceptions about what happened. Is there any misconceptions that could come out of these two words? Maybe. But I'm just thinking of they fell off. Did they all fall off at one time? I mean, did you walk outside and say, ah, there's the leaves. Walk out there and say, whoa, where are all my leaves at? Like, they're all over the ground. I mean, if you just said the leaves fell off, I could potentially look at it and say, oh, did they all fall off at one time? Well, no. So let's think. What are some ways that we can describe what happened to the leaves that really gives us the best picture of what happened? <laughs> what else? Like, what, what, how can we describe this? Can anybody do better than that? No. Or you could say they gradually faded away, maybe. Okay, you don't like the, the okay. Gradually fell off. Yeah, I mean, like you're looking at them and you're getting 
They detached. Okay. The wind steadily blows them away as they die. Okay. The point I want to make is that the words that we choose, the words that we choose to describe this event, if, if we were really trying to communicate exactly what happens, we would choose the words very carefully so that there's no misconceptions about what's happening here. You know, if we were really trying to make sure that somebody didn't think that they just all fall away at one time, we would choose different words to express what we're really trying to communicate. Now, what we see here in 1 Corinthians 13 is we believe that, that every single word is inspired. So the Holy Spirit is behind Every written word that we have in Scripture. So it's not just that Paul just picks and chooses words and, and overall the message is inspired, but he just picks and chooses words. I believe that the Holy Spirit carried Paul along as he wrote. And we, we've, you know, we won't go into it today, but we've looked at times where one, arth, one author appeals to another author and the word that that author uses to generate spiritual teaching. So... There's, there's spiritual points, theological points that are made in Scripture when one author appeals to another author in the specific word that was used there. So every single word inspired in Scripture. So we can trust that words were chosen to communicate truth to us. Now, if we look back here in 8, 9, and 10, Paul is communicating something about gifts going away and love persevering all the way through. Does anything jump out to you in these three verses if we're looking at the words that are used? Anything that stand out that maybe, hey, we might need to take note of that. Okay, there's a different word that's used for tongues than for the other gifts. You see that? It says that Prophecies will pass away. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. Then notice we don't hear about tongues again. Verse 9. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Notice he doesn't say that we speak in tongues in part. That that's, that's left out. Now, we've, we talked a couple weeks ago Okay, do the gifts cease? Do they not cease? Uh, this says here that it ceases when the perfect comes. What's the perfect? Some in the cessationist group say, well, that's when the canon is put together. So when we have scripture, these gifts cease. And we said, ah, you're really pushing it there to mean the canon of scripture. Um, because when you continue to read on about uh, looking in a mirror, now we look face to face, it seems to hint more at um, something further in the future than the canonization of Scripture, more like the second coming of Jesus. But I think Paul may be communicating something that we've missed as far as ceasing versus not ceasing. This word that Paul uses for um, the word that Paul uses for uh, passing away, it has more of the idea of the leaves falling. That it's not an immediate thing that happens. Um, whereas the word that he uses for the tongues has 
a more immediate context of stopping. And we're going to see in just a second the actual um, grammatical use of the words gives us some indication about when these things cease. Okay? Um, when he says that love never, never ends, what he means by that is love never fails or it never, it never falls away. It never decays. It never stops. It never fails in regards to its timing, not its frequency, meaning love is a permanent virtue of importance. It will never go away. It's always valued. It's not, though, a magic key that always results in success. So when he says love never ends, um, it never fails, it's not a magic key that if we just have love, then we'll always win kind of thing. He's saying as far as timing goes, love never stops. The importance placed on love it never ends. It never goes away. But there are some things that do go away. Tongues, prophecies, knowledge. Tongues will cease, the passage says. This word cease means to stop, to come to an end. Now in the original language, it's used in the middle voice. And what that means is in the Greek, when the middle voice verb is used, it's an intentional voluntary action upon oneself it's self-causing so the picture is like a battery with a limited lifespan the energy would eventually run out it stops by itself that's the best that's the that's the original wordage that's being used here in the greek that it's a limited time but it will cease much like a battery that will eventually run out and stop on its own He's saying tongues is a gift that will cease, that will stop. Prophecy and knowledge will pass away. This word, this verb means to reduce to inactivity, to abolish, to make inoperative. But it's a passive verb. Something is done to it to make it stop. Something is done to it. Passive, active. When it's passive, it means that something is being done to the subject, being done to the one doing the verb. So when it's passive, something is being done to it. So Paul's saying, tongues will cease on its own. It will stop. But something else will stop or put an end to these other two gifts. And that's the perfect. Now, previously, we had kind of looked at this passage and said, okay, these things stop when the perfect comes. And we kind of walked away going, okay, that means, you know, we're not comfortable saying canon of Scripture. That means second coming. So is that saying that tongues will continue until the second coming? Not according to the original language. The original language, and we see that even Paul leaves out tongues when talking about this perfect. He says, tongues will cease. Knowledge, prophecy will pass away when the perfect comes. So Paul seems to be communicating two different time frames here. That at least one of these gifts will stop premature of the perfect coming. And then these other gifts will continue until the perfect comes. So if tongues cease before the perfect, when do they cease? We're not told. But it's not mentioned with the perfect coming. So it must cease prior to this. So if we're working on, again, Paul uses words. You know, we came up with some words to describe what's happening here about these leaves going away. Paul uses words, and I think he specifically chooses words and says them in a certain way to communicate when these things will stop. And I think he's intentional in trying to say one stops prior to the other stopping. 
the more I study this, the more I'm moving back to the, cessation, the, the cessationist viewpoint. Um, I want to be open to this. I'm going to be really cautious about it. But the more I'm looking at Scripture, the more I'm starting to see that, that, that Scripture's maybe a little bit more clear than we give it credit for here. Have certain gifts ceased already? So if, if we're suggesting that potentially tongues, now he's not limiting it to tongues. I think he's dealing with these as kind of a representation of all the gifts. Tongues is the big issue in that church. So he's saying tongues will cease. Now that doesn't mean that other gifts won't also cease, but he's specifically saying tongues will cease. These other ones will pass away when the perfect comes. So are there certain gifts that have ceased in regards to how they were being used in the New Testament? Let's look specifically at tongues again. Tongues in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, it's supposed to be real languages that could be understood. Acts 2, 9 through 11. We saw that at Pentecost. The modern version of tongues today is more of an unintelligible babble that nobody understands unless an interpreter is there. And even when an interpreter is present... Is there a guarantee that their interpretation is right? We see tongues being used. We're going to look in 14 next week about how it's being used here at Corinth. But tongues today, tongues at Trinity, tongues at other Pentecostal churches in this area, tongues at Vineyard Church right down the road, they're being used differently than what we see in the book of Acts, I think. The modern version is different than the book of Acts. Now, again, we're not, we're not dealing with 1 Corinthians 14 yet. We're just going off the narrative Acts. And that's where we get a lot of help here. The book of Acts is narrative, so we see this stuff working itself out practically, not just being talked about conceptually. So in the book of Acts, it's, it's foreign languages. Peter, when he's present with Cornelius, they start speaking in tongues. He says, they're speaking just like we were on that day of Pentecost. He seems to say, the languages they're using are the same type of languages we were using. The modern version is different. Healing. Has healing ceased like tongues, potentially? Healing is supposed to be immediate, complete, and undeniable. I want to make sure that in our church... But if we're going to hold to some of these gifts that we hold to them, and if we're not going to hold to them, let's not hold to them. But let's don't be wishy-washy and, and kind of draw a gray line about this stuff. If we look in the New Testament, we look in the book of Acts, we look in, in Jesus' ministry, the gift of healing was immediate, complete, and undeniable. Mark chapter 1, verse 42. This is Jesus' ministry. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. There was an immediate communication to this man, and this man was healed of leprosy, a disease that could not be healed by modern medicine at that time. And I don't think we have any evidence of people being healed of this naturally i mean when you got leprosy you were put out to pasture you were done you went to live with lepers i don't know that we have people being healed of this outside of something miraculous happening in mark chapter 10 verse 52 
Jesus said to him, or let's, start, let's back up to verse 46. They came to Jericho as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. They called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. It was immediate, it was complete, it was undeniable. Meaning, nobody could walk away and say, "Ah, I don't know if a miracle happened there. Like maybe the medicine that he was taking is what fixed him. I don't know that I can really attribute it to Jesus praying for him. Yes, God answers prayer, but there was medicine involved that healed this guy. No, like it was not, it was not something there was any question about. These people showed up, they were sick, they were sick beyond any uh, medicinal help, and, and Jesus says, be better, be healed. And these guys walk away completely healed. Not two weeks later, not three weeks later, not at their next doctor checkup. They were healed, right? Like it was immediate, complete, undeniable. Nobody walked away and said, I don't know if they were healed or not. Like everybody knew these people and they were healed by something that was viewed as unhealable. Okay? Now let's look at what was happening in the book of Acts. So after Jesus' ministry. Acts chapter 8. I'm going to tell you what's the, the big difference that we're going to see in what happens in the book of Acts and what, we have, and what happens today. The big difference between healing in Acts and healing today is that it was really miraculous in the book of Acts and it's far less miraculous today. It is far less miraculous today. And we're going to see what I mean by that here in just a second. That's the major difference. People that had the gift of healing in the book of Acts were doing miracles any claim to that gift today is far less miraculous. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not, it's not praiseworthy when we see this stuff happen in the church when people are healed. It's far less miraculous than what was happening then. Let's look in Acts chapter 8. The issues being healed in the book of Acts were issues that could not be healed by modern medicine. And the time lapses between prayers and proclamations of healing and actual healing was minimal. People were praying or proclaiming healing, and it was happening on the spot. Okay? So Acts chapter 8. Wonder and amazement springs out of this. Verse 9. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. So what you have here is this popular magician. Was he a magician like we understand magicians where he was tricking the eye and doing that type of thing? Maybe he may have been generating demonic ability to do some crazy stuff. Whatever it was, Philip was able to do stuff that amazed people far greater than what this guy was doing. 
There's, there are people that get prayed for in churches for healing. The healing happens. But it does not typically result in wonder and amazement over the person who did the praying. There's glory to God for the healing. But rarely do we attribute any type of special ability to individuals that prayed over somebody. Acts chapter 28, verse 7 through 9. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. These guys had real sicknesses, and they were being instantaneously healed. Not healed later, healed on the spot. This guy's disease is pretty gross. Like, I looked it up to try to better understand what's going on here. This guy's got um, some nasty stuff coming out of him, right? And it stops. It stops. It stops immediately. So much so that they start bringing more sick people to experience the same thing. We don't have people being prayed over in church. Like, if we want to go with this conservative Piper Grudem perspective on this. And I love these guys, but I'm divided with MacArthur on eschatology and I'm becoming more and more divided with these guys on spiritual gifts because you don't have incidences with Piper or Grudem or people praying in their church and then being healed over a sickness and it resulting in bring everybody to this church to be healed. See, I would say, see, you, some of this stuff, like Benny Hinn and some of the stuff that we see on TV, I would argue that that is more consistent with what they're attempting to do with the book of Acts than what we're calling the gift of healing in, in churches like Pipers and Grudem's. Now, I don't believe that Benny Hinn and, this, and those guys are doing this type of thing. But it is far more consistent. What they are saying they are doing is far more consistent with the book of Acts than what's going on in some of these more conservative, reformed um, churches that want to also cling a little bit to the charismatic movement. Does that make sense? Like, they were amazed that this man was healed on the spot, so much so that they started bringing everybody that was on the island sick so they too could be healed. There was, there was an amazement and an ability given to these individuals, these apostles, that warranted a, a big-time response Bring your people to these guys. They have the gift of healing. Now let's look at specifically some of the, some more stuff that they are healing. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. 
He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. We've got people who have never walked before from birth. We've got people who are paralyzed, maybe from injury, that cannot walk now, that are being brought to these individuals, and they are walking away. They're walking away. Now, I can't verify this because I don't have a means of communicating with Piper and Grudem, but I would venture to say they are not suggesting that individuals who cannot walk be brought to their church to be anointed with oil and prayed over with the expectation that you will be able to walk. That's the stuff that we dismiss that we see on TV and say, that's not really happening. Like, that's fake. They are getting people to act that way to generate money for their ministries. We don't see this type of healing, to my knowledge, being argued for in some of these churches that we would say we respect, we like, we view, we view consistency in our theologies we're just not sure how to take their views on charismatic gifts. I don't believe you see this type of stuff happening in their churches. Let's move on to Acts chapter 9, verse 32 through 35. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Immediately he rose. All the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Here we have the the ability to heal blindness. In addition, we also see the ability to give blindness in Acts 13, 4 through 12. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as uh, Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Barjesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Palus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, you, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. I mean, the people that had this gift had the gift, had an ability to conquer blindness. They could give it. They could heal it. I've yet to see Piper or Gruden post something about somebody with blindness being prayed over and healed in their church. Yeah. So, I mean, this is stuff that was happening on the spot, on the spot type healing that was going on uh, with these people that had this type of gifting. Uh, Acts chapter 9. Thirty-six through forty-three. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named uh, Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. This Lydda was near Joppa. The disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, "Please come to us without delay." So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived. They took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Acts chapter 20. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep. As Paul talked still longer, being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. When Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. They took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. I mean, this is, this is a church tragedy. And this kind of stuff happens, right? Like, we hear on the news, church buses going to a youth group event, that the bus wrecks and, and people are killed. I mean, this is a church tragedy. Paul has the ability to raise this man to life. This, this kind of stuff is not happening in the conservative gospel preaching churches that we would respect and love that are talking about the gift of healing continuing. Not to my knowledge. And if it is, I can't imagine why it's not to my knowledge. Like if there have been people that have been risen from the dead in Piper's church, why is that not broadcasted constantly? That would be amazing and unbelievable to me if somebody in our church was killed tragically and, and Tyson walked up to him and said, hey, guys, don't panic. Get up. I mean, we wouldn't walk away and say, man, God is good, isn't he? Like, somebody died at church today, and then, and then they were raised to life. We're so thankful Tyson has the gift of healing. Now, again, I know there are people that come to church that have cancer, and people get around them and pray over them. And then they go to the doctor, and they find out that, hey, your cancer's gone into remission. It's been healed. Why does that not cause wonder and amazement to us? 
the reason it doesn't for me on this type of level. Now, obviously, you hear that and we rejoice. We rejoice, and, and those that have the avenue may even post that on a blog or something, and other people say, man, that's great. God is good. The reason it doesn't cause wonder and amazement is that people that aren't Christians are healed of cancer, right? Like, cancer goes into remission for people that aren't prayed over by elders. I was watching a video this week. There, there's a new study out. These, uh, they're, they're doing this with kids that have leukemia, that have cancer, where they're kind of at the point where they're not getting any better. Like, like they're, they're, they're going to die. And so they're starting to do some, some crazy type tests and, and, and uh, methods of trying to make them better. They started injecting them with a, with a, um, a version of the HIV virus. And, it, and it's, it's designed to not make them more sick, but it's designed in some way to reprogram their body where their body's attacking their cancer cells and they're getting better. My point is, is that, yes, we pray over things. God heals. We're not discounting the fact that God doesn't do miracles anymore. We're not discounting the fact that God doesn't heal people anymore. What I am discounting is I don't see specific individuals in the church with the ability to do this type of healing on this type of scale where it's happening immediately. You know, Matt Chandler gets a brain tumor on Thanksgiving morning and, and his elders pray over him. But what does he do? He goes to the hospital. He gets treatment. Does God heal him? Absolutely. Should we call that a miracle? I would say absolutely. Cancer is supposed to kill, it's supposed to kill people. And he was healed from it. But I wouldn't say, oh, those elders are studs. Like they have the gift of healing. Their pastor had a brain tumor. If you've got brain tumors, take them to those elders because they have the gift of healing. And your brain tumors can be healed. We don't treat it that way, right? But this guy who has some funky diarrhea stuff going on in the book of Acts is healed. And it says they brought everybody who was sick to him so that they could be healed too. That's not what we're seeing today in some of these conservative churches. And MacArthur at his Strange Fire conference says, he, he kind of appealed to his continuationist friends. And he said up front, this conference is not for Piper, it's not for Grudem, it's not for D.A. Carson, it's not for C.J. Mahaney, it's not for these guys that, that I think are teaching the same gospel. It's for the guys that are heretics that are claiming the gift of the Holy Spirit and are, are propagating it and making money off of it. And there's some sick individuals out in L.A. who are doing this. And they started making a TV show about it called Preachers of L.A. These guys preach in the same city as MacArthur. And they're, and they're using the Holy Spirit for their personal gain and claiming to have this extreme type of healing. So MacArthur says the Strange Fire Conference is for the Benny Hens and these guys that continue to be tolerated in our country. And they're damaging the gospel. But MacArthur appeals to his continuationist friends, and he says, you're hurting the cause because you're kind of playing the, the iffy position and, and wanting to say that this stuff does continue. He says, you don't really believe it continues because you don't believe this type of stuff is still happening. He says, you're reinterpreting it. And I told you, I'm, I'm totally content with saying that, yeah, there's times when, when maybe the Holy Spirit is leading somebody to speak an encouraging word to me. Do I call that prophecy? I don't think maybe we should because Agabus and Acts is standing up saying, there's a famine coming. We need to get prepared. That was prophecy. 
should we should we say that, that the gift of healing continues because every once in a while our elders pray over somebody and they get better. But it's not a guaranteed thing and it's not an all the time thing. I don't know that we can say that the gift of healing continues if it's not continuing like we see in the book of Acts. We're talking about paralyzed individuals getting up and walking away. Not going through rehab, right? Like there's people in football that have been paralyzed that go through years and years and years of rehab that eventually get back to a somewhat normal life of being able to use their body. We're talking about people who could not walk that stand up and walk away. Like no medical explanation for that. We're talking about people who were healed instantaneously of diseases, not people who continued to go to chemotherapy and eventually the cancer was gone. I don't want to take away from those and say, well, those aren't a big deal. Like, we shouldn't even mention those in church. That's amazing and great that God's doing those type of things. God works miracles. But it's different. It's different than what we see in the book of Acts. It's not happening the same way. It's not happening in immediate situations. It's not happening in in undeniable situations where it was obvious that person just healed that man through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not, hey, there was a group of our small group that prayed over this individual, and then three, four weeks later after chemotherapy, they were healed. Still a miracle, but we can't attribute it to the people that prayed. It's not an undeniable type thing. I think Paul's communicating there's some things that will cease. They will cease. Others will pass away when Jesus comes back. We won't have a need for preaching. We won't have a need for the gift of knowledge because we will be given full knowledge. We'll see him face to face. You won't need me to tell you about Jesus. You'll be with Jesus. He says some of this stuff will pass away when Jesus comes back. Others of it's going to stop. It had a limited lifespan, like a battery, and it's going to run out. It's going to cease. It's going to stop. That's what's happening in the book of Acts. The modern versions, the conservative modern version, prayers that may or may not be answered. And it's less miraculous type issues being talked about. You don't have individuals dying in some of these churches and the elders coming and anointing them with oil and praying for their resurrection. You don't see it. And if I'm wrong about that, then somebody let me know that that is happening and and we'll go up there and, and, and talk to these guys about how they're doing that. But I don't see this type of miracle happening in some of these conservative churches from pastors that we greatly respect and want to cling to everything that they say, I don't see this type of healing coming out of their church. Now, again, I told you last week, we're saying the same thing. Do we believe that we can pray over cancer and that God may heal that cancer? Yes. That's what Piper and Grudem say. They call it the gift of healing. I would say, that's not what I see in the book of Acts is the gift of healing. I see that God still does miracles today, and I praise him for that. We're not saying that miracles cease. We're saying that individuals with the specific ability to work miracles, as best I can tell, seems to have ceased. Do the conservative continuationists really deserve that label? Because they do not believe that the gifts have continued in the same way. 
Listen to what MacArthur says. Though charismatics use biblical terminology to describe their contemporary experiences, nothing about the modern charismatic gifts matches the biblical reality. There's nothing miraculous about fallible prophecy, irrational tongues, and failed healings. We need not deny certain experiences that continuationists claim to have, but we need not feel pressured to call those experiences what the New Testament would not call miraculous gifts. So again, I'm not advocating that we say, oh, God doesn't heal people anymore. I'm not advocating that God doesn't speak through individuals in the church to other individuals in the church. I'm not, I'm not advocating that position. What I am saying is that I don't think it deserves the miraculous label for what was happening in the New Testament. It seems far more miraculous, the type of things that were being done, far more miraculous than what we see happen today. I mean, Tyson, you know, I won't give details, but Tyson even shared a story with me where he was having a conversation with a, uh, a charismatic pastor who claimed to have the ability to raise people from the dead. And he communicated that from the pulpit. And then a family member's loved one dies. And they come to him and say, raise, my, raise, raise him from the dead. He says, I can't. I, I can't do that. I don't have the ability to do that. The gift of healing was miraculous in the New Testament. But it seems to have ceased. It seems to have ceased while the New Testament is still being written. We highlighted some passages where Paul is healing people, and then he's communicating just some basic take care of yourself, I know you're sick kind of stuff, where healing's not happening anymore. We see garments being used from these individuals to heal people. Shadows being used to heal people. And then we see that stuff start to pass away. Where Paul says, I had people in my presence that were sick, and, and we prayed for them, and they got better. We rejoice over their healing. It's different than what was happening earlier in the book of Acts. Um, all right, we'll wrap up real quick. If some of these gifts have ceased, when did they cease? We're not told by Paul when this, when this, when he's specifically talking about tongues, when it would cease. But it's very possible to view this as ending with the uh, apostolic age. When the apostles died, these things ended. If you look in Ephesians 2.20... So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. It seems that the, the apostles helped lay the foundation for the church, and it's the apostles that we really see in the book of Acts with these gifts, specifically with the gifts of healing. That foundation has been laid. We don't need to continue to, to, to build a foundation. We build off the foundation. Confirmation has occurred. Hebrews 2, 3 through 4, we looked at the purpose of the miraculous signs. It was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. That, that whole phrase there is past tense, as though it had already been accomplished, already been done, and yet the book of Hebrews was still being written. The sign was shown, 1 Corinthians 14. We'll, we'll look at that one next week, 1 Corinthians 14. The long-term value did not exist. 
these miraculous healings, 1 Corinthians 14, 19, you remember Paul says, I'd rather speak five words that you can understand than to speak 10,000 in a, in a different tongue. The long-term value didn't exist. He says, long-term prophecy is better than tongues. So it would also make sense for this stuff to pass away because the long-term value is not there. Once the canon was complete, the foundation had been laid by the apostles and the prophets. The miraculous gifts that accompanied and authenticated their ministries were no longer needed. What's some of the negatives? What's some of the negatives that exist if we say, ah, we're open but cautious. We even think that maybe they continue. These are some of the things that MacArthur highlighted at his conference. Number one, people are taught to look for additional words from the Lord outside of his revealed will and his word. People are taught to look for additional words from the Lord. I mean, honestly, which one sounds cooler? You can come hear me preach a sermon about stuff that God gave us 2,000 years ago, or you might get the opportunity to hear from God from somebody who has the gift of speaking in tongues who can communicate a message from God today to us directly from him. I mean, that's hard to compete with, right? I think that's why you see in some of these charismatic churches, those are the things that get highlighted far more than the sermons their pastors are preaching. The danger in saying this stuff continues is that people begin to expect a word from the Lord that's supposedly not authoritative. To me, it has to decrease the importance of what we do every Sunday by looking at the revealed word from the Lord. And on top of that, why would we stop a sermon where we're teaching about revealed will to hear somebody speak in tongues when it's not authoritative? It doesn't seem to line up with what Scripture says about Scripture itself, the all-sufficiency of it. Number two, people can be manipulated to make unwise decisions, believing they are being obedient to what God wants them to do. People can be manipulated to make unwise decisions, believing they are being obedient to what God wants them to do. With sufficiency of Scripture fully in place, we are no longer in need of additional revelation from God. Instead, we strive to walk in the Spirit by being obedient to God's revealed Word, relying on the Holy Spirit's illumination and the wise counsel of those who we join our lives to within the local church. I think we should talk to each other. I think we should share wisdom with each other. I think we should communicate with each other. I think we need that to better know how to live the Christian life. I don't think we need to be bound in thinking that certain people hear directly from God about what we should do and potentially feel obligated to do it because they supposedly have a gift. When we've got God's word, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and that should be sufficient for us as we seek to live our lives in glory to him. All right, we'll pick up here next week with looking at prophecy and knowledge passing away and when that happens, and we'll allow that to move us into First uh, Corinthians 14. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.